Down Syndrome Queensland are the peak body for intellectual disability in Queensland. We drive change, support inclusion and are on a quest for equality so that people with intellectual disabilities can take their rightful place as valuable members of the community. Down Syndrome Queensland also provides practical and emotional support, comfort and opportunities to people with intellectual disability, their families and support networks, particularly in regional areas. DSQ supports an inclusive environment for people with an intellectual disability, which allows them to live their best lives. We believe it is important to respect the rights of parents to choose the development path that is best for their loved one. DSQ is here to support them along the way. To find out more about how you can help, to volunteer or to support the work of Down Syndrome Queensland, go to downsyndrome.org.au forward slash QLD. We acknowledge the First Nations people as the traditional custodians of the land we are on today. We acknowledge and pay respect to all elders past, present and emerging. The Now in the Future podcast is an exciting way of sharing members' stories of opportunities, challenges and provide support and expert advice for Down Syndrome community. Down Syndrome Queensland's vision is to support, advocate for empower people with Down Syndrome to take their rightful places as valuable and contributing members of their community both now into the future. This episode will feature conversations with several parents whose children have subsequently received additional diagnoses. They explore what this has meant for their families and how it flows on to other settings, such as school or in the community. Today's episode is not meant to have any kind of diagnostic or self-assessment focus. We really do want to stress that if after listening today you feel that this is something that needs to be further explored with your loved one, it's very important to do that with the involvement and ongoing discussion of your loved one's healthcare providers and potentially their allied health team. Today is purely to shine a light on some of the more common experiences that we hear from families who care for a person with Down syndrome who have gone on to receive additional diagnoses. Whilst we acknowledge that we have interviewed the parents of three young men in today's episode, we would like to point out that this is purely coincidental and based upon who was willing and available to record for this episode, it is not meant to imply that a co-occurring diagnosis is more likely to occur in a young man. In the past, you may have heard about something called dual diagnosis, which has been a commonly used term when a person with Down syndrome also has an additional diagnosis such as autism or ADHD. Today, this is not usually the preferred way of speaking about an additional diagnosis because in other sectors of the healthcare community, Dual diagnosis as a term can actually refer to other co-occurring diagnoses, such as uh, describing a person who has mental health concerns in addition to substance misuse concerns, or sometimes it can also refer to a person with an intellectual disability who also experiences mental health issues. In order to avoid confusion, 
We've now moved away from referring to this as dual diagnosis when we're talking about people with Down syndrome. And instead, we refer to this as a co-occurring or additional diagnosis and then simply name whichever of those that actually applies to the person. Sometimes in the literature, you might see this shortened to things like DS plus ASD, for example, if we're talking about co-occurring diagnoses of Down syndrome and autism. The incidence of co-occurring diagnoses within the Down syndrome community is quite difficult to gather specific data upon, particularly because people with Down syndrome in most parts of the world today make up quite small numbers in terms of research data. However, what is thought, given the research that has been undertaken, is that it's believed somewhere between 1% and 19% of people with Down syndrome also have a diagnosis or would meet the criteria for a diagnosis of autism spectrum disorder. And generally, it's accepted that that uh, average would probably sit around 10%. And what the research tells us about that is that that is higher than the rate of occurrence for people in the community who don't have Down syndrome but who meet the criteria for autism. With attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, research that's coming out uh, more recently shows us that this already occurs in the population of people with an intellectual disability at a higher incidence than the general population at around 13 to 16%, as opposed to 6 to 8% for people without an intellectual disability. However, when it comes to studies that have researched incidents specifically into relation to people with Down syndrome, the incidence of ADHD is reportedly higher again, somewhere between 20 to 40%. Even more recent research is now suggesting that gestational age at birth is a contributing factor in the subsequent diagnosis of ADHD across the general population, which then highlights an even higher chance for the Down syndrome population, given that it can be quite common for little ones to be born prematurely. Something that we hear from families quite frequently is that when they raise concerns about an additional diagnosis with their child or loved one's healthcare team, they feel that the conversation is sometimes shut down prematurely. And that is something that we often refer to as diagnostic overshadowing. It is very important for families to continue to advocate if they feel that something is being missed for their loved one. And this is not about having extra diagnoses made for the sake of it. It's generally, when we hear from families, more around making sure that any um, early interventions, for instance, or therapeutic approaches, and potentially even teaching strategies for people in the classroom or in workplaces are matched most appropriately to how the person learns best and how they best process information around them. Because of that concept of diagnostic overshadowing, we do know that the average age at which a person with Down syndrome may be subsequently diagnosed with a co-occurring condition such as autism or ADHD is generally older than it would be for a child or young person who didn't have a diagnosis of Down syndrome. This is very important to note because we know that that first seven to eight years of life 
or any little person who lives with some difference is most critical in terms of early intervention and receiving the most appropriate supports for adapting best to their learning environments and their natural settings. All right, so I think we might start with just introducing those of us with us today. We'll start with you, Fiona. I wondered if you could just tell us a little bit about your son, Angus. Sure. Um, my son, Angus, is 17. He'll be turning 18 shortly. Um, he goes to our local special school where we live. Um, he is a very social person, um, loves being around people, loves his family and extended family, cousins, etc. Um, he's very cheeky. Um, and loves annoying his older sister like most siblings like to do. Um, he loves walking, the bagpipes, he loves the beach, um, loves watching Modern Family and he is besotted with his father. So oh. <laughs> not so much me, but... <laughs> <laughs> um, nice. Yeah, nice. that kind of sums Angus up a little bit. <laughs> Wonderful. Yeah. Thank you. And um, I should have mentioned we're talking with his mum, Fiona. So welcome, Fiona. And Deanne, we might move over to you next and you can share a little bit about your son, James. Um, sure. Uh, James is 14 in a few weeks, two weeks, and he goes to a local special school. Um, we he, he started in a new special school closer to my work this year. Um, James <laughs> is slightly obsessed with the wiggles. That's his thing. Um, <laughs> since he was about six months old, he saw his first wiggles DVD. He knows all their names. He must wear clothes that match wiggle colours. <laughs> and yeah, he knows knows all the songs and everything. So he he loves the wiggles. So he has his own phone that he carries around with him everywhere. And that's he could choose what shows he wants to watch. So um, Wiggles and Peppa Pig are his ongoing joys um he loves swimming uh so we had to get like a big pool above ground pool for him over the summer and he'll be in and out that oh all day um yeah so that's anything to do with water he loves it and so he's quite uh quite a good swimmer he's a very good runner uh quite athletic and um yeah that's he's just got to be physical all the time it's his yeah, he loves it. Okay. Thank you for sharing that. It's always really lovely to hear about all those beautiful, positive, wonderful things because I think today we might talk about some of the trickier stuff as well and it's really important mm -hmm. to remember that people are people, unique individuals and, yeah, and your story is, yeah, and theirs is it doesn't define them in terms of those labels. Um, I wondered if you might both like to share a little bit about how those extra diagnoses, you know, what they are for your loved one and, you know, what was it that I guess as families made you start thinking maybe something else is happening for my young man? Yeah, I wonder if you want to start, Fiona. Uh, yeah, sure. Um, I guess it was a bit of a process, as you could imagine. Um, and looking back, you know, we definitely saw signs when Angus was young, um, perhaps from maybe three years of age, roughly. Um, there was definitely little things that I thought, you know, it did go through my mind. Um, I guess, however, the process, I guess it didn't really start to um, develop 
to the point where we, you know, thought about going to the paediatrician till kind of school age um, when he started school um, at special school. Um, and I guess we were approached by teachers um, and then we had that conversation with therapists as well um, and all kind of agreed that there may be something else going on with Angus. Um, and, you know, that potentially he does have autism as well. Um, and as you know, it's very hard to kind of um, pinpoint um, exactly what it is in the sense that um, there's so many things that cross over with Down syndrome mm -hmm. and autism, um, as Angus had really high sensory needs. Um, but, you know, that's not uncommon as well. So, it was very difficult. And I think as he got older, it became more obvious. So, I mean, definitely in the early years there was things, um, but it wasn't till, um, till he was six or seven that we really brought it up with the paediatrician. So, um, yeah. How did that first conversation go with the paediatrician at that point? Um, not very well. I must admit, he basically said, you know, look, I've, if I say Angus's name, he will look at me. So um, he's not, he doesn't have autism because <laughs> he's giving me eye contact, um, which, you know, we all know does not mean um, you do or don't have autism. But clearly, you know, maybe back then that was still a bit of a thing. Mm. Um, so, you know, that was the first conversation and kind of was shut down quite quickly um, as that, to... Is that the person that you stayed with and ultimately explored and gained that extra diagnosis? Um, we actually ended up seeing another paediatrician eventually down the track. Um, we did bring it up again um, with the paediatrician when he was about eight um, and we kind of went armed with support letters um, from therapists and the school backing us up and, you know, kind of saying the behaviours they were seeing that they felt um, were, you know, made him on the spectrum as well. Um, so, yeah, it, even then that was still a bit shut down, but he then diagnosed him as, as PDD. Um and developmental disorder. Yes, that's right. Um, so he said, look, that's that's what he felt perhaps mm -hmm. um, he may have, um, but wouldn't kind of go um, and say that he had autism. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, so how old would he have been by the time that did officially get? Um, yeah, he was 10 by the time. Um, he got diagnosed with autism. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I guess from the beginning, yeah, from six or seven mm. through to ten, so that's quite a while. Um, it is, and, and that actually reflects what we have seen in research, which is that, unfortunately, people with Down syndrome, when they go on to be diagnosed with autism, it's generally at a much later age than a little person who doesn't have a diagnosis of Down syndrome as well. Um, Thank you for sharing all of that. I wonder, Deanne, what your experience of that, you know, diagnosis process was like. Yeah, fairly similar. Um, it was uh, it, when uh, we noticed I was very heavily involved in Down syndrome groups and um, when kids are usually under six years old, there's, 
it's not particularly obvious. It's only when they start school and the kids get older and their development milestones change considerably where you start going, hold on, this is not, um, he's, he's not actually presenting like my, our other friends who have kids with Down syndrome. And the interesting thing was, is it actually took me, um, I don't know how to say this, but it, it's, I had to be around other kids his age who had Down syndrome and me realize he's not like them. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I went to our pediatrician who, um, the thing is, is James has another diagnosis of ADHD as well. And we were exploring that actively because he is so um, uh, impulsive that really mm-hmm. has was taken the forefront of all of our diagnosis for the last few years. So when he was about nine or 10, we were working through ADHD. And when I went to the pediatrician and said, listen, I actually think there's another diagnosis here. Can we explore that? Mm-hmm. And um, she referred us through to the child development program. Uh, and they actually have specialists in Brisbane who work um, a lot with a dual diagnosis of Down syndrome and autism. Mm-hmm. So James did go, um, they interviewed James teachers at the time and after interviews and then meeting James and everything, it was determined he had autism. And we thought what we'll do then is we'll in school, we'll actually um, create programs for him based on autism, not Down syndrome at all. Mm-hmm. And I would join autism groups, not Down syndrome groups and um, it, it was a huge game changer for us because we were now managing the correct diagnosis, if that makes sense. So, oh, sorry to cut you off there, but you have just hit the nail on the head in terms of what we hear from families all of the time, Deanne, and even from um, paediatricians we have spoken with about this, that people often say, what is the point of having an additional diagnosis? You know, at the end of the day, if a, if a young one has Down syndrome, often within the school system, they're already verified for intellectual disability. They're, you know, potentially accessing some funding and their NDIS plans, you know, has provided. But I think that is so important what you just said. Um, autism is a, and so is ADHD for that matter, a completely different type of um you know, condition in terms of how it impacts a person's, you know, cognition and their daily functioning and, and you know, um, the way they learn potentially. So I'm wondering... Communicate, the way they communicate is completely different to Down syndrome. Jess, just tell us a little bit about your little man, who he is and what he's into. Okay, so Johnny is, well, a very he's nine years old. And he's a very active, just a active little boy that's just such a boy. Um, yeah, and he's very into like, you know, like um, football. He loves football, anything balls. Um, he loves swimming, um, doing all those crazy kind of, you know, things he shouldn't be doing. Um, yeah, so he's, yeah. Keeps you on your toes. Oh, yeah, definitely. Every day, all day. So, yeah. <laughs> awesome. It's really lovely to get a picture of the young men that we're talking about today. Yeah. Um, Jess, your young man is the youngest of all the people we're featuring today. So I wondered if you could tell us a little bit about how old he was when he received an additional diagnosis. 
Okay, so he's what? He's nine this year. No, he's ten this year. So, ah, oh, probably would have been about, I'd say, five. Yeah, five. He would have been five or six. Um, yeah, he would have been diagnosed with autism, mm-hmm. um, and that yeah took some time to get there. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. yeah. What led to you exploring that in the first so place? Bas- yeah, basically I went to a few like um, Down syndrome like playgroups and um, I just, when I went to those playgroups, it was definitely an eye-opening for me because that's when I realised he wasn't like typical Down syndrome and even like other mums had like even said they're like oh he's just you know he's very like active and like you know just very full on and um and that's when I was like oh yeah he is and then I was looking at you know some of the other kids and um they definitely weren't like Johnny um they were more chilled out and yeah just didn't have a lot of the behaviors that he showed aggression and all that um and then that's when it started to like click and make me think. Um, and then when he was at ECDP um, at the special school, um, they also started to like notice some things with his behaviours. And then that's when I kind of, yeah, started questioning and wanting to get him assessed and, yeah. Mm-hmm. But, and was that process like... I guess when you had that conversation initially, I'm guessing it was with a paediatrician or a doctor. Yes. So I had a conversation with um, the paediatrician. It was actually quite terrible. The whole experience was terrible. Um, Yeah, I pushed it to him that many times and he just honestly didn't even want a bar of it and... um, it was finally, it took ages. And then finally one day after basically just having like, I just had a breakdown um, and that's when he all of a sudden just went, he's like, oh, he goes, I'm so sorry. I never believed you before. Um, but yeah, you're right. You've always been right. He does have autism and ADHD on top of it. Um, a two, two diagnoses. Yeah. Wow. And um, I was like, wow. And then that's when everything kind of happened. I'm glad that you felt validated in the end, but I'm sorry that it was such an ordeal <laughs> like to get one. there. Oh, I gosh. know. So yeah, that was kind of our journey of how yeah. it happened, but yeah. And would you say that that whole process of going back and back, was that months or a year? or like? Yeah, it, was, it would have been probably about a year. And so did you find at that point once they, you know, made those changes and approached the situation as, you know, with different kinds of curriculum support aimed at autism, did that make a difference for your son? Yeah, it um, it has definitely made a difference because uh, the thing with, because uh, I work in disability and I see this all the time, is when you're in out in the community, it, if James played up, it mm-hmm. was because you can see he has a disability. Mm-hmm. There's no, there's no backlash. There's no rude, you know, people are very accommodating to this. And when someone does have a diagnosis where you can't see it, they're perhaps a little bit harsher. When we were able to build, I suppose, um, build on more autism and because I joined 
autism groups, um, I was able to get better support. So mm-hmm. someone, I, I read at one time um, where having autism and Down syndrome is like you're standing in the ocean, you know, that pool, you're stuck in the sand, but the pool is going left and right all the time. And I see it in James mm-hmm. is he has this extreme extrovert, loving, um, you know, uh, nature where he wants to be around people all the time, but then he gets brutally overwhelmed by it mm-hmm. and he shuts down and it causes extreme anxiety and everything. And those two are always playing with, you know, at each other. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think if you're armed with both of those um, uh, abilities to be able to see those two sides of that coin, mm-hmm. um, it is more, uh, it is definitely a lot more helpful. Um, wow, yeah. that's amazing. And I guess from a therapeutic point of view too, it may even change the way your therapists would work. And I know, um, Fiona, we've had conversations about with around that in the past and I wondered if you wanted to share how it, how having that extra um, new lens, I guess, for understanding Angus has impacted school or community life. Yeah, um, I guess in a way finding you know he had the dual diagnosis definitely helped in in various ways um i guess in the schooling up you know aspect um and you know same scenario um coming at it from more of the autism side um and also i think getting that diagnosis really helped us as a family as well um I know some people say, what difference does it make? But to us, it just, it it did make a difference. It helped us to understand Angus better. And and also our family, our extended family, um, because, you know, Angus has very complex behaviours, you know, which was very hard to deal with, especially in family situations at times. Um, Everyone looking at you, you know, how do you deal with this? different scenario and you just want the ground to open up sometimes um you know and feelings of you know are we are we dealing with this behavior the right way um you know are we too you know um lenient on him are we you know one way or the other you you just you never knew quite um where you were but i think just getting that diagnosis really really helped us Yeah, definitely made a difference to Angus and I felt like we brought him out of his own little world a little bit. Mm. Um, I felt like we were losing him, Mm. um, so to speak. I felt he was very withdrawn and just in his own world, but um, he's a very social boy now, um, much happier. um, And, um, yeah, so I think it was very, yeah, I think it was very helpful to know that he did have a dual diagnosis um because i feel like that's his main kind of disability um instead of like you know the down syndrome um i feel like that obviously is the one that impacts more Mm -hmm. um so it was definitely good to know and that way we can you know help give him the right um therapy and everything um Mm -hmm. more on like an autism base kind of mm-hmm. instead of just down syndrome when we've done webinars in the past um for instance we've done one with the um uh, pediatrician or clinical lead from um queensland children's hospital 
the child development program around these additional diagnoses and also with Griffith University's Autism Centre of Excellence. And both of them were talking about the fact that it's not one plus another equals this. It's a really complex interaction. It's a very unique kind of mm. way that the two present. Um, and yeah. that sounds like what you've both experienced. Just listening yeah. to you. Mm. What about yeah. you, Fiona? Like you're um, a lot then. <laughs> yeah, I just, I guess I totally agree with you, Deanne, too. Um, I mean, like for us, yeah, as a family, it definitely helped. Um, and I guess it did help school to a degree, but same things, Angus's behaviours are just so incredibly complex. Like people will say, oh, we'll keep chipping away at that. And deep down, you know that that's not going to work. Still, as as great as that is, um, you know, um, he's he's just and the same thing. I think Angus is actually quite a smart boy, um, you know. But you know, due to communication issues and all the rest of it, um, his behaviours are just what everybody sees, um, and that makes me really sad. Um, but you know, having said that. Um, as he has got older, people have seen, you know, Angus does have an amazing um, side to him that he very, you know, he, he loves being around people just like a lot of us do um, and peers, um, even though he may not be able to contribute the same way as some of those kids, um, he still enjoys being in their company. Um, and, yeah, I just... I just think his behaviours are just so massive um, and so complex and and they do change the same scenario. Like you think, okay, you know, we're used to this, we know how to handle this situation and then I think sometimes, you know, one behaviour goes and another behaviour comes, it gets replaced. So you always feel like you've got to try and keep on top of it um, and, and it is really hard. But, yeah, it's it's challenging. There's constantly new behaviours that that do emerge as well, just when you think you're getting somewhere. Um, but um, What is that like? And, and if this is too personal, please don't feel you have to answer it, but what is that like as a family in terms of, I guess, once your child is in their teenage years, generally, you know, you feel like you have found that routine, you have found that groove that kind of works for things. But when when that landscape around you is changing all of the time, I imagine that's very emotionally exhausting at times. Um, yeah, it is emotionally exhausting. Um, I feel like I'm a lot more resilient now than I was when he was younger, though. Um, I found it very hard, you know, early days. Um, I cried a lot. <laughs> I won't lie. <laughs> I definitely cried a lot. Um, I don't cry as much now, <laughs> um, but I do have my moments still. Um, I think you get a bit of a tough skin because you, you just had to. Um, and also his behaviours have, have isolated um, not only him but, but us as a family as well, um, you know. So I think our life is very different to what we thought it would be. Um, and, you know, I, I kind of say, all I want is a child with Down syndrome. <laughs> um, you know, it's, it's funny what you, you go through your mind um, at times, you know. Um, and also working in that sector, I, I, you know, just see the massive difference. And sometimes it makes me, to be honest, really sad mm. um, because, you know, you just think, 
Oh, if only. <laughs> um, yeah, but, you know, you've got to stay positive um, even though it is emotionally draining and you just, you've just got to keep looking um, for new, new things and ideas and um, talking to people as well. Yeah. Um, and thank you for sharing that, for being so brutally brave and honest about it. And I know, I know, Dean, you touched on this earlier, that whole when you were part of, you know, communities of people with Down syndrome, you didn't feel necessarily like your life kind of mirrored their experiences. And that's not to say that every person with Down syndrome is the same either. We always say if you know one person with Down syndrome, you know one person with Down syndrome. Yeah. But as you both touched on, it's it seems like it's been quite obvious from quite early on that your young men, you know, have been that little bit more unique again. Um, Deanne, I know you've talked about the fact that you often don't feel like you belong in this particular community or not maybe not belong but your experiences don't necessarily resonate with you know other families with a child with a down syndrome diagnosis um and you've just touched on that too fiona so i guess if you have become more socially isolated as a result where do you find your support you know or, or you don't. Um, <laughs> I, well, it's, um, I do not have a huge amount of support. Um, I'm very blessed that I work in the industry. So my support network are my colleagues because you're in this industry because you love um, this industry. And um, so, yeah, my employees are very... Um, empathetic to the situation um i am a single mother so my dad does help me um quite a bit but now james is getting to about 60 kilos mm -hmm. um if he does um if he wants to do something my dad who's elderly can't stop him so um i work quite close by so i could always be on hand and uh, so I don't really have a huge support mm. network in that respect. I don't have support workers or OTs or anything like that. So, mm. 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 And that, I guess that is something that I do hear a lot of, even, and I know your circumstances are different, Deanne, but even for people who have what would be considered a fairly substantial NDIS package, sometimes there's still challenges in terms of finding adequately trained or appropriate staff members who understand those behaviours that you both talked about earlier and, and the best way um, to move forward. So I guess it's that real um, catch-22, isn't it, where, um, yeah, support is so vital, we know that, but finding it has its challenges mm -hmm. as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I have, um, when, uh, when James was diagnosed, I might mention like when James was diagnosed with Down syndrome, he was diagnosed at birth. Um, my test came back that he probably did have Down syndrome and then at birth it was confirmed. And I had this feeling of, um, you know, you're, of course you're mourning the loss of the life you thought you were going to have. And, but I kind of thought that's cool. Down syndrome. That's fine. I've worked in, education I've worked in disability let's do this I actually struggled more with the autism diagnosis and I've spoken to quite a few families that have um have really struggled with that diagnosis more um I think because um you already kind of have you've gone okay well I'm, I'm prepared to make the change my life is going to be different I'm, I'm going to Holland now as they say 
And now you're not even in the same, you're not even in Europe anymore, you know. And so, uncharted territory. Yeah. So true. And, and it's sad because no one even knows where you are. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the spe- not even the specialist can really help you with navigating this one. So I think that was um, that was harder for me. But, <coughs> excuse me, but the support that I have found has really been through Facebook groups because they've helped me. I've connected with other people who cannot leave the house, cannot go to Christmas parties, cannot do, cannot go camping, all these things we thought we were going to do. They also can't do it. Yeah. Um, and you, it makes you feel less isolated. So as far as support goes, they're probably not my, my biggest support networks are mums and dads who cannot go out. So we've become Facebook friends because of that. Yeah. Um, and you want to, you know, everyone thinks people with Down syndrome are just happy and bubbly and smiley all the time. <laughs> that <laughs> is a myth we blow out of the water all of the time. All the time. Oh. You know, I've, I've got enough photos and videos to prove. <laughs> but when you're in these groups and you're meeting with, particularly like I reach out to autism groups, is you don't have this expectation that your kid has to be the social butterfly all the time. That um, So I feel a lot more comfortable in autism or dual diagnosis groups because mm. I don't I don't get the the wonderful photos and the oh look you made best friends with this person in the park and I don't get any of that. Mm. So it helps process and not feel that sadness as mm. much, mm. if that makes sense. Mm. Um, to me that's actually the biggest support is for families reaching out. Mm. Um, yeah. That peer mm. that level of peer support. No one else can understand quite the same um, as somebody else who's walked in those shoes somewhere. I just wish people were more understanding when, you know, they see Johnny and he's having these, you know, behaviours or anyone with like, you know, autism or, you know, whatever. Um, But just yeah more understanding and um because you know you get a lot of people that just will honestly just stare at you Mm. and especially when you're going through something with him Mm. and yeah people just have no idea or just you know um and just more support like um yeah for like the family and Mm. the child with Mm. the you know the needs um I imagine that accessing the community when you've talked about some of those more physical um, great abilities that Johnny has, (laughs) um, how, what is that like when you're potentially out on your own with the kids? Well, I try not go out on my own with the kids because it's just too much. Like when he was little, I could, you know, kind of manage it. But now that he's getting bigger and older, it's way too hard. Like I can't do it. So um, because he just kind of rebels against me. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the same breath, he like, he doesn't want to be away from me. And, mm-hmm. you know, so. You're but, his safe place, I guess, when the world mm-hmm. feels scary and he's feeling overwhelmed. And oh, yeah. Suddenly, you know. Yeah. <laughs> He attacks yeah. me, but at the same time he wants me. It's like, mm-hmm. yeah, it's funny. But, um, yeah, so, 
yeah, it's it's hard to go out, um, even just to do normal things like as a family, like you know, to go what down to the beach or something, down to the park or something, or mm-hmm. you know, go out like somewhere like a family trip. Mm-hmm. Just it's not possible when you have a child like Johnny. Um, it just makes the whole thing very stressful mm-hmm. um, and just not worth it in the end. Mm-hmm. So things like that, like we can't just do, like just mm-hmm. the normal things, mm-hmm. um, which has been kind of hard because you have days and like you just get really down and you feel you wish you could do those normal things mm-hmm. that the majority of the people do. Um, so, yeah, that's been kind of hard. And you're right, though. I think this is something that we hear you know, and, and Fiona and Deanne have touched on it too. Um, as a young person gets older, obviously we can't use the same strategies that we used when they were smaller. And physically they will get to a point where you just can't pick somebody up and, and you know, support yeah. them to be where they're meant to be. So, um, but if it sounds like it's really tricky in that space in between of knowing what is going to work. Yeah. Um, and in that moment when the person is very upset and frustrated and for whatever reason is struggling to communicate what it is that's really hard Ooh. for them, um, it is just about that regulating, I guess, co-regulating yeah. with them and um, yeah. and starting again <laughs> when yeah. the moment has passed. I know. No. But, yeah, mm. it's um, quite a journey. But. What about What about in terms of support for you? I mean, Deanne and Fiona have talked about, you know, how isolating and tricky this has been for them at times. You're a little yes. bit earlier along in that journey, but so far for you, what has it been like? Well, know? yeah, it's um, been very isolating, um, especially when you don't really have support around you or anyone that understands. And um, so, yeah, and you just kind of feel alone, mm-hmm. like you're the only one going through it um Mm. or you kind of question things like you know what did what did we do wrong or Mm. um yeah so it's been quite hard on us mentally Mm. um just the everyday battle like it's Mm. just you you know you kind of feel like you're on repeat every day Mm. and um it's just like it feels like a war you're never gonna win Mm. um so that's been kind of very hard on us, especially lately with the mental health and stuff like that mm-hmm. um, on us as a family mm-hmm. has definitely now starting to, like, affect us. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's just, you know, trying to, yeah, just keep our mental health healthy and mm-hmm. um, make remembering sure. remembering that it isn't anything you have or haven't done. yeah. I know it's it's hard, but um, mm-hmm. yeah, mm-hmm. it just yeah, just you know, you have days like where, especially when it's bad days, you have days where you're like, well, why couldn't it just be Down syndrome? Why did it have to be autism and ADHD and you know, like, mm-hmm. and it's just you know, understanding that, like, mm-hmm. um, and what yeah. what helps you get through those days, Jessica? I think just taking um, time out for yourself, I feel like is very vital. You need to do that every day and you need to always um, 
keep you you always need to try with your mental health i feel like for so long we would um just you know keep pushing on um and you know just be like oh it will be right you know the future he's going to be fine in the future um but then you kind of believe in this you know you're tricking your brain thinking everything's going to be all right but um and it, yeah just yeah just time to yourself and yeah if you know things are down then just really mm-hmm. go and get help and mm-hmm. i think that's where we're at now like we are seeking professional help now mm-hmm. um for our mental health so mm-hmm. um yeah i think that's what's really helped us i must admit i do feel very isolated um I, that's one of the reasons i work um i love going to work and you know i work in the disability sector obviously as well but um you know to me that is um my peers are also my support you know my colleagues um who i work with but yeah i felt very much the same way like we never fitted in any box you know angus didn't have down well obviously has down syndrome but we didn't fit in that box and and we didn't always fit in the autism box um so i guess i kind of withdrew a little bit to be honest um yeah and i mean we have family support but you know, my parents are now in their 80s. Um, so, you know, that's really not um, so easy so much anymore because um, Angus is a tall boy and, you know, nearly 18 um, and at times physically, you know. Um, so, and, you know, my siblings don't don't live nearby, but, you know, we have Ken's siblings, um, which are, are great supports when we're together you know, um, functions, they will do everything they can to help us uh, and give us, you know, outings to their house (laughs) because we literally don't go anywhere else. (laughs) Um, That's kind of it. I mean, you know, for us to go out, it's to go for a drive and take Angus for a walk somewhere where there's not many people sometimes. Um, You know, it's silly things like that, really. Um, yeah so yeah I think we both my husband and I still feel quite isolated at times people empathize um but it's hard for people to understand you know it's not anybody's fault it's just very different scenario um for people to grasp but you know I sometimes do have this panic feeling of like am I going to get home in time from you know my work to get Angus off the school bus you know and then I think who would I call you know um if I something happened you know weird things like that and I really don't feel I do have anybody (laughs) that could you know apart from people who work with him um at school and his support workers um who understand angus and and know what his needs are and his support is um to to make that a smooth transition but yeah yeah it's definitely very hard even though it's been a really tough journey it's been an amazing journey also and one that as a family we've all just learned so much from um you know, it's given me a direction with where I wanted to work because um, I was pretty passionate about, you know, the things that I um, have learnt along the way that I can pass on and help other people to help their kids as well. Um, so, yeah, to me, there's a lot of negatives, but there's also a real lot of positives. And at the end of the day, we have an amazing 17-year-old son who gives us lots of challenges but lots of laughs. Um 
And, you know, really, how could you change that? I mean, his his smile just lights up a room and we all we all just adore him. So there's so many positives that do come out of hard times and I think that's what you've got to take, which I'm sure you would agree with, Deanne. <laughs> there's lots of hard times, but, man, like what a journey, you know, um, and we're kind of privileged that, We've been given this opportunity to um, to help and support our beautiful children <laughs> along the way. Yeah, yeah, I I absolutely agree. It has been an am- amazing uh, journey so far, um, and I have a different kind of love uh, for James. Uh, it's I don't know how to describe it, but probably an example is um, he had been struggling the whole day, just struggling, and it was. We had reached boiling point and I eventually just sat down on the floor with him to go cuddle him and he put his hands on my cheeks and he went, you, you best friend, mama, you, you James best friend. And it's okay. It makes everything okay forever. <laughs> so that's probably the only way I could describe it is, yes. you know, that, that love is so unique. Yeah. It really, really is a, a blessing to feel that kind of, of passion and love um, with another human being. So, yeah. Mm. Yeah. And Angus has a habit of um, having a few um, impulsive moments and also um, uh, very obsessive moments of saying things over and over and and the latest is, I love you. Um, And he doesn't say a lot, so I love you. And it's only to me. Um, so I'm taking that yeah. <laughs> at times when he says it continuously for half an hour, I'm a little over it, but <laughs> I have to reply every time. Love you too. Yeah. But, um, I mean, Hey, there's worse things you could be replying. Oh, <laughs> yeah, really. And there's worse things your teenager could be saying to you. Hey? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So I just thank love the small mercies. <laughs> oh, absolutely. I'm so just in awe of the beauty and the, and those, those reflection points that you've both shared today, I really, really appreciate that this is quite a unique thing to come and do and and to share. And as you said before, Fiona, we weren't trying to highlight the negatives today. We were trying to share understanding across our community of of what it is like, you know, for people who live in love with um, people who have co-occurring diagnoses and just to, I guess, widen that understanding a little bit more for whoever could be listening. So we so appreciate um, that. And it sounds like we have far to go yet in terms of um, building a better understanding so that yourselves and your loved ones are better included and um, supported in their daily life. Like, oh, don't get me wrong. Like, I we adore Johnny. We are just is so in love with him. He's the most funniest little dude. Like, he's just hilarious. Um, but, yeah, there's definitely days where it's like, oh, wow, this is just like, and that's every day. Like, we'll have those kind of thoughts where, oh, this is, just, you know, really hard. Like, oh, mm-hmm. um, but, yeah. And then you'll have those little moments where all of a sudden, even though it's hard, he'll do something. That would just, you know, you'll forget so about that. Yeah. yeah. And then you're like, oh, you know, oh, you're so, like, I just love you. But, yeah, it's just, yeah, even though it's hard, yeah. But 
It's and that's the thing, isn't it? At the end of the day, that parental love and that bond and those family ties and, yeah. and those everyday moments that are so intimate to an individual family yeah, just come to the fore and, yeah. Yeah. And it no, shines a light on the unique little person that you live with and love. And Oh, yeah. He's a character. My goodness. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So he has, from the moment I found out, well, his diagnosis with Down syndrome, um everything totally changed um like I felt like I definitely changed as a person and uh, he definitely taught me to be um more patient um you know that you know to enjoy the simple things in life um yeah, like that's something, yeah, we definitely like, you know, all the little things, like are the, really the big things that matter in life. Um, and he's just made us more like humble people, um, you know, and just, yeah, just, yeah, that's kind of how, what he's taught us. Thank you. I so appreciate everything that you've shared. <laughs> and we do hope that, you know, through telling these stories, mm. that, that that understanding that you're all hoping, you know, for yeah. is just better felt within the wider community, not just the Down syndrome community, but everybody who supports people who yeah. with multiple diagnoses. Yes, yeah, Thank definitely. You. Thank you so much for all of the honesty right. <laughs> in sharing all of this today. The Now and the Future podcast. We would love to hear your thoughts and questions as a way of continuing to provide essential information to the community. If you have a question, would like any more information on any of our episodes, or have suggestions for future episodes, simply send us an email at engagement at downsyndromeqld.org.au. That's engagement at downsyndromeqld.org.au and we will do our best to provide you with the information required in one of our upcoming episodes. The Now and the Future podcast aims to support, advocate for and empower people with Down syndrome, both now and into the future. You have been listening to the Now and the Future podcast. For more information about this episode and many other topics related to Down syndrome, please visit the Down syndrome Queensland website at downsyndrome.org.au slash QRD. Down syndrome Queensland, supporting people with Down syndrome now and into the future.